Welcome to Responding to Life. We're continuing on with the special bonus episodes featuring guests from the last three seasons of the show. The first two bonus shows addressed issues of wellness as it relates to mindset, self-care, and prioritizing oneself. We're moving on to another topic that we frequently discuss on the show, fertility. In this special episode, we'll be talking about the different experiences people have on their unique paths to parenthood. You will hear from founder of Robin, Allison Kazir, and my fellow fertility advocates, Marilyn Gomez, Ellie Weinstein, Monique Farouk, and Crystal Chavez. Within the realm of trying to conceive, one in seven experience infertility and the need to pursue assisted reproductive technology, adoption, or surrogacy. Every path to parenthood is unique, but all are rooted in a desire to create a family and ultimately love a child. In today's episode, we'll discuss how to navigate the complexities of fertility decisions and journeys, the effect of infertility on relationships, and the role of faith and hope while trying to conceive and ultimately once a child is born. I feel so lucky to have befriended all of the amazing people featured in today's episode as they inspire me with their strength, their voices, and their commitment to representing and supporting the many out there struggling to create their families. We'll begin by hearing from Ali Kazir, founder of Robin, a maternal health and wellness company that powers prenatal and postpartum virtual care to support aspiring, expecting, and new parents on their path to parenthood. After countless procedures, false hopes, negative pregnancy tests, and a sea of unanswered questions, Allison didn't see failure. She saw an opportunity. She set out to ensure that no other parent ever felt as alone and confused as she once did on the path to parenthood and started Robin. Today, Robin is a digital platform for aspiring, expecting, and new parents featuring over 200 meticulously selected providers across specialized fields, including acupuncture, nutrition, lactation, mental and physical health, and personal coaching. Robin has also launched Parent Birth, a modern and inclusive virtual childbirth education class featuring real stories and parent-centric care. Allie shares with us her vision for Robin and the positive impact she hopes to make on the lives of those on their path to parenthood. I started Robin because I didn't want any parent to feel as alone or confused as, as I once did on my path to parenthood. Um, so, you know, I guess going back now, this is now four or five years ago, uh, my husband and I were struggling to get pregnant and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which is one of those really frustrating diagnoses because you just don't know what's wrong. You don't know what's going on. Um, so I actually took some time off from work. I was working in finance in New York at the time, and I kind of became obsessed with this intersection of wellness and fertility. I was kind of determined to take control of whatever I could control, given how much is out of our control during the fertility journey. So um, I did start seeing a reproductive psychiatrist. I started going to fertility acupuncture. Um, I changed my diet, my exercise routine, and I really, um, you know, just started to live overall a more healthy lifestyle. Um, it was still so challenging uh, physically and emotionally going through that fertility journey. We ultimately uh, decided we were going to do IVF um, after trying naturally, after trying a couple rounds of IUI. 
um, we moved forward with IVF and uh, our first two transfers didn't work. Um, and I was really young at the time. I was I think, 29. My husband was 28. So we were just really confused <laughs> in terms of what was going on. Um, but fortunately, the third transfer that we did, uh, we put in two embryos and they both stuck. And um, we now have our twins, Jacob and Freddie, who are four years old. And of course, when they were one, uh, we had our miracle pregnancy. And uh, so the twins also have a two-year-old uh, little brother named Billy. Um, so, you know, we feel very fortunate to have our, our happy ending. Um, but one of the big things that helped me when I was going through it was I just started sharing my journey and kind of sharing what we were going through, being very real and raw and open and honest. I would tell like friends, I would tell family, I would start, you know, telling people in the subway, honestly. Um, and I started sharing about it on social media. And that's really how Robin got started. Um, we started to kind of grow a community about around changing the fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum conversation. And um, after I shared my path to parenthood, we shared all different paths to parenthood, fertility journeys, pregnancy journeys, postpartum journeys. And it really became this place that you could go and not feel alone in what you're going through. Um, you know, you could connect with other women and families who maybe were going through a similar path to parenthood. We started to share, you know, about all kinds of stigmatized topics, not just infertility, miscarriage and loss, but also, you know, postpartum depression, anxiety, OCD, postpartum body image. Um, so, you know, that's really how the community and content piece of it got started. Um, and then kind of once the community had been established, we did a lot of work with the community around like what what the greatest pain points were on the path to parenthood. And while everyone felt really grateful to have this collective wisdom of the community and other women and families, they were looking for more expert support. So that's when we decided to start creating this network, which we're so fortunate that you, Josephine, are a part of, where um, aspiring, expecting, and new parents can connect with parental wellness experts like you know, doulas, lactation consultants, fertility coaches, maternal mental health professionals. Um, so now Robin is really a place where you can kind of get both. You can get that community support, connect with other women and families, um, but you can also get the information from, um, you know, maternal wellness providers who, who know and, you know, who have kind of studied these areas and really kind of have dedicated their careers to supporting um, parents on their path to parenthood. I thought I was just going to be a couple of months and I would be back at my job, you know, pregnant and expecting my family. And, um, you know, our journey tur turned out to be a little bit longer than that. But um, what was great about the sabbatical was I finally had the time to explore some of these areas. So you know, I understand how fortunate that is to be able to take time off from work um, to take this time to kind of mother myself. And I was so grateful that I had that space and I had that time. Um, so it really became like a very exploratory time for me, but it definitely did take a lot of research um, and just a lot of being my own advocate to build this village around me. And I think, you know, that was one of the inspiring forces behind Robin. Like it shouldn't be that hard 
for aspiring, expecting a new parents to build their village and to find, you know, the right support and education. Um, so yes, that was definitely, you know, an inspirational moment when I was kind of going through it myself and I thought, wow, this is super helpful, but this isn't accessible to so many parents. Um, and, you know, just finding this type of care, there are just so many barriers, right? Um, you know, we look at the a typical parent's journey and it's like, one, they've got to get over the stigma of asking for help, which unfortunately in this country is still a really big hurdle and barrier because we're just not built around the it takes a village concept. Um, you know, two, you've got to figure out what type of help you need. And not everybody knows that, you know, there are uh, fertility therapists and acupuncturists and coaches available and, and what those modalities even mean, right? Um, you know, there's kind of a health literacy gap in the country, which unfortunately, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, what those services might, might entail, um, and then you've got to find a provider. You've got to find a provider in your area or one that will take you online, which unless your workplace offers like specific benefits or you know about a service like Robin can be really, be really hard to find the right, um, provider for you and for your journey. Um, and then the biggest hurdle, which is our next hurdle that we want to tackle is, you know, nine times out of 10, that provider doesn't accept insurance. So it ends up being, you know, you pay a hundred dollars to thousands of dollars out of pocket for these services. And if you can afford it, and then hopefully you end up getting kind of reimbursed a couple months later by, you know, your health insurance. But, um, that to us is one of the biggest, you know, accessibility barriers that we want to tackle next. So, um, yeah, you just think about all of these barriers to care. And we're just not meeting parents in their moments of need. And that's something we, we are really looking to change. The next featured guest is Marilyn Gomez. Marilyn is a gritty empath and Latina who got her Reiki certification to help her heal through the trauma of infertility. She had her daughter in 2018 from her third IVF transfer. In 2019, she attempted to expand her family with transferring the last of her two frozen embryos. That transfer failed, so she closed her chapter of expanding her family to focus on healing and embracing and normalizing having one child in a society that asks for one more. Marilyn is an advocate with Resolve and Mom Congress, focusing on infertility coverage and maternal mental health. She owns an online store, Infertile Tees, statement tease for your infertility journey to encourage women to talk about their story and feel less alone. When you are on your path to parenthood, you are faced by a myriad of challenges and subsequent decisions that are unique to your own journey. Marilyn shares with us her process of personal healing as she went through multiple rounds of IVF and her considerations and approach for trying for a second child. I told my husband, I have a little bit more of gasoline in my tank to do this one more time, but I'm going to take some time to go to therapy first. So I went to therapy, worked on my mental health, worked on self-healing. I learned about Reiki. I got certified in Reiki because I'm a control freak, Josephine. I was like, <laughs> okay, if I cannot control infertility, but I can control, like I can control how I react, how I process information, how my body feels, how I feel about myself, my thoughts, I can control those things. So I need to heal while I do this, or I will just be a shell of a human and 
with the inability to continue. And so um, I went to therapy. My therapist started a group therapy group uh, with five other women. We were all in the same track in our, or the same track, the same part of our infertility journey. We were matched up beautifully together. It was a beautiful experience to participate in other people's healing while being vulnerable yourself. And I remember looking at my husband and saying, I'm ready to do our third IVF and this will be our last one. I I'm at a place where if this does not work, I can walk away. I can, I can live child-free. We will adopt a bunch of dogs and we will just, that's, that'll be our story. We'll just have to write a new story. And he was like, okay, we're good. So I called this new clinic, made an appointment with them, did a phone consult. The doctor was very sure in my, uh, success rate, like potential success rate. And so I got on an airplane, went to Colorado, had a one day workup. They did so much testing and I'm like, well, this is what is missed. This is what I've been missing. The testing, this additional testing is to cater protocols to what my body needs to have a pregnancy and a healthy baby. I mean, why were the other clinics just template matching at this point? And so we did IVF number three and I transferred two genetically normal embryos, September, 2015. And in October, I was able to see a heartbeat of one little, one little embryo that could. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And then in June of 2016, I had my little girl and she's amazing. She is just a wise old soul. And I continued my healing, especially with my mind and my body, because energetically our body absorbs so much throughout that process because you feel like a scientific experiment, like this out-of-body experience. You're not even in your body. It was just me and this uterus that is not doing what it's supposed to do. Right. And so I had two frozen embryos for my second IVF. And in late summer of 2019, I remember looking at my daughter and I was like, okay, if we're going to expand our family, I mean, I keep getting this yearly bill of these frozen embryos, which is not cheap. Let's just, I'm just going to transfer these two embryos. I'm just going to transfer them. And if it doesn't work, then I'm, I'm done. I'm done and I will be okay. And if it works, wow, game changer, like (laughs) big surprise. And so, you know, and in between my daughter's birth and my embryo transfer, we had moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. This is where I live now. And I decided to go by myself. I told my husband, I'm going to fly to Utah. I'm going to do this by myself because for me, it felt more like a spiritual experience. I I needed this for my, for my healing, like a closure, like a, just, just an end of this year, like this decade long, like trauma. Mm -hmm. And so I flew to Salt Lake city. One of my very great friends, um, took me to my transfer. Uh, I had an acupuncturist meet us there And it was, it felt so spiritual. Like my girlfriend held my hand while they were transferring the embryos 
inside my uterus. And she goes, Marilyn, whatever the outcome is, you've come and you've picked up your kids. She's like, they're with you now. And, and I didn't know that I, I needed that. I needed that closure of just like bringing them with me, mm-hmm. whether or not they were earthside or not. And so, uh, of course, 10 days, 10 days later, I would learn that, you know, it was a chemical pregnancy and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And my grief felt much different than the losses that I had previously. It was like, it felt like a cleanse in some sense, because I was so secure and sure in what my next chapter would be because I had that choice. And I think Mm -hmm. oftentimes in any type of trauma that we experience, we forget that we get to choose how we process what we experience and how we process it and what we do with those feelings and emotions and, uh, and those big moments where you feel less than we get to choose how to start healing. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it felt like a rebirth for myself as a woman, uh, becoming more secure in how she walks in her life every day. My next featured guest is Ellie Weinstein. Ellie is a therapist in New York running his own private practice and working at a group practice where he is a supervisor. His specialty are relationships, anxiety, and trauma work. Ellie has been featured on the Kelly Clarkson show, Hey Tiffany Rowe, Not Another Anxiety Show, and The Parentologist. He's the host of the podcast, The Dude Therapist, chatting all about mental health and wellness. He is a father of two and married for seven years. In my conversation with Ellie, he discussed the impact of infertility on a couple's relationship and how they coped individually on their path to parenthood. It was a a very shocking uh, experience, still is when we look back on it. Because infertility doesn't go away. Like we're still struggling with it, even though we have a kid, you know, it's still something that's on our mind. It's still not so easy to say, Hey, we want to grow our family. And we have to, then we have to start the whole process again, the whole nine yards, doctor's appointments, shots, pills, um, you know, uh, it's a really difficult place to be. in. it's not just the snap of the finger and it's there. And one of the biggest things I think that my wife and I figured out was what each other needed when we needed something. But that took a conversation and communication that we never thought we would have to have that conversation because no one expects to be or struggle with infertility when you're dating. You're not like, so are you infertile? Like it's not a conversation you have when you're dating someone. And then when you get married, you expect that if you want a family, it'll, it's going to happen. Why wouldn't it happen? Um, That's a big assumption that we all have. And I think it's really about talking with your spouse, your partner about what they need from you, what you need from them. And making that happen. So my wife really utilized like support groups on social media, her friends who went through infertility. Um, I utilized um, some of my friends, but guys don't really talk about this so often. And it's a little taboo in the Jewish community uh, to talk about this. Not any, it's, it's starting to be more of an open conversation. And that's when I started actually talking about infertility on my social media platform to be a support for other men and women who struggle with infertility and don't know how to talk about it or broach the topic. Hi, I'm a therapist. I went through infertility. Let's chat about it. So that was my outlet. Um, I journaled a lot. That was really one of my outlets. And, um, you know, we have to find our things that work for us. So you just don't know what is going to happen and you're never going to be prepared for that. So it's about really being honest with yourself and your spouse and partner to just talk it out with no judgment and open space to feel. It is a hard place to be as a guy. 
I'm not going to lie. Uh, and now that I'm more in tune to that world, um, there are so many support groups and so many accounts on social media that I never even knew before because I wasn't aware of the issue before I went through infertility. Why would I know about the community? Like you don't know about mental health community until you're involved in mental health community. You don't know about the podcast community until you're in the podcast community. So it really was an eye-opening experience to talk to other men and to hear their stories. And once I started talking about it on social media and people were contacting me and we were talking back and forth, that was a very therapeutic process as well. And now allow me to introduce you to Monique Farouk. She's one of the first women I met when I joined the Instagram world of fertility advocates. Monique is a Maryland resident, former restaurant owner turned stay-at-home mom, an infertility advocate and creator and host of the amazing podcast Infertility and Me. In Monique's podcast, she gets real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. She shares real stories and expert advice that offer healing, inspiration, support, and community. The Infertility and Me podcast is all about healing while on the path to family expansion. During our conversation, Monique detailed her experience with infertility that included tubal blockage, hypothyroidism, uterine polyps, IVF, and preterm labor. When her beautiful son was born early, she transitioned from the difficult world of infertility to the heart-wrenching world of being a NICU mom. Here, she shares with us tidbits of her story of strength. The pregnancy itself was was fine, actually. And I did have like some spotting scary moments when I was around 14 weeks. And it was about a week after I was no longer on progesterone and estrogen and the baby aspirin, you know, all those things that you do to maintain the pregnancy when you've been through fertility treatments and they keep you wanted until you're 13 weeks pregnant. And so that was like a security blanket for me being on those three and ensuring that there was no miscarriage because with hypothyroidism, the chances of miscarriage increases. And so when I had that scare at 14, four days or something like that, it was, I was like, oh my God, I'm not on a freaking projection on the estrogen, all of these crutches essentially that were keeping me sane and decreasing my anxiety. Now I'm, I just got off of it a week ago and I'm freaking bleeding. You know what I mean? So I was just really scared. I was going to lose the baby, but he was okay. And it was just that my placenta was a little too close to the cervix opening. I wasn't previa, but it was just a little bit too close. And so it was causing some spotting and some light bleeding, but I was okay. He was moving his heartbeat, bark, his heartbeat was great. You know, the pregnancy was really nice. It, it was just a really overall nice experience. And I had all the symptoms, you know, to to kind of like reassure me that he was still in there growing, you know, and uh-huh. I kind of, even though he was my first pregnancy, I started feeling flutters pretty early. And I was about 15 and a half, 16 weeks when I first started feeling the popcorn flutters. Uh-huh. And so that was really nice experience in that. And then by the time I was going in, well, about the week that I was, I was 23 weeks, five days when I went into premature labor, but it was actually a week before I actually gave birth because okay. they were able to stop it with the steroids and, and things in the hospital. So okay. I was in a week, I was in a hospital a full eight days before I actually gave birth at 24 weeks, four days, but the pregnancy was great. It was just, uh, it was really great. I looked good. I felt good. Um, I was at a really healthy weight. And I was still walking the dog every day, taking my long walks and being able to be active and taking it easy and just trying to enjoy what we had worked so hard for for so long and had wished and wished for for so long and trying not to think about anything going wrong. So it really was a nice pregnancy. 
It really was. And I miss it. I'm not even going to lie. I miss not having been able to go the full term. And so I went went through a period of like mourning the pregnancy after I gave birth, even though he was here and he was in the hospital and he was thriving and he was trying to get healthier. I still had a period where I went through grief of losing that pregnancy so early and not feeling, feeling like it was completed. So a lot of the grief was while he was in the NICU. And then even after he came home and he was home like a month or two or something like that, I still felt robbed. I still had some yeah. grief and I felt robbed. Uh, because I didn't get the full experience. I, you know, I never got to take the pictures and I never got to do, you know, so many different things that never had a baby shower or anything like that. So there was some, there was some grief around the pregnancy as well, even after he came home to be quite honest. Yeah. And did you recognize that, that you needed to grieve that or did that just sort of hit (laughs) you? I mean, how did that come about? At first it was hard to even talk about because I'm like, you know, especially after he came home, like a lot of when a lot of times when I spoke about it while he was in a NICU, everybody was like, you know, that's I can understand why you feel like that. But then nobody asked me if I still felt that way when I came home. And and my mom would ask me, she said, you okay? You know, I know your pregnancy was short, you know, it wasn't the full term and you didn't get the full experience. Are you okay? And I'm like, you know, mom, no, I'm really not, you know, and I still grieved that pregnancy. I mean, even he was one years old and I was still grieving the pregnancy because that's what I had worked and I was dreaming about, I had had, you know, so many, you know, we have dreams about being pregnant and being able to do the things that, that, that go around that. And it was very difficult and um, trying to take care of him and getting over that grief and still healing from the fact that he had to go through so much to live and to thrive and to come home, you know, so it was a lot. It was, a, it was definitely a lot. <laughs> the first seven days that he was born, he had to have surgery in his left lung. They went underneath his armpit. He still has the scars today. He got his, I call them his battle scars. And he's got the scars right here under his arm. And it's going to always be there. And it's because there was a pocket of air in a part of his lung, uh, in a a part of his lungs that shouldn't have been there. And so they had to essentially let it slowly drain out. And there was this other machine next to him. And that that's what was keep taking the air out very, very slowly over the course of four days. And I just, it was just heartbreaking to see him like that. And so he was so very fragile and just doing everything to keep his little heart going and, and breathing with the oscillating machine and intubated for feedings and for the oscillating machine to breathe and stuff. And it's just truly heartbreaking. And I thank God that babies don't remember those sort of things, but I can't help but wonder if there's some kind of subconscious memory there mm-hmm. that stays with those babies when they're very, very young. And just not being able to leave. I What happened was I had him and I was there for three days like it was a normal birth after the C-section. And so when I went home, I was there for a couple of days before I had to get rushed back to the hospital for hemorrhaging because there was still some matter from the placenta still in my uterus. And so I began to hemorrhage at home on a Friday okay. night, very late at night. And so I was there to go to the hospital after I came home 
for a couple of days and then I'm right back in the hospital. And I was there in the hospital again for four days with a fever because they had to give me blood transfusions a couple of times over the course of the four days I was there after the emergency DNC. And I'm just calling as much as I can when I can to, to make sure he's okay and make sure he's being properly taken care of and all these things. And just looking at all my pictures that I had taken of him prior to me being in the hospital for the hemorrhaging and letting that drive me to get better so I could get back to him because all I wanted to do was be at the hospital. I didn't want to be at home. I didn't want to do anything but be at the hospital with my baby. And I didn't want him to feel like he was alone. And I wanted him to not forget my voice. Monique's story is heartbreaking, but I find her strength and courage so inspiring. I'm happy to share that her son Omar is a handsome little boy who is thriving. Many people think that once you get pregnant and have a child after going through infertility procedures, life moves on and all the grief from the past is forgotten. But stories like Monique's shows us that there can still be a lot more experiences to face. And now, last but certainly not least, I had such an inspiring conversation with fellow Filipina fertility advocate, Crystal Chavez, who is currently in the middle of her pregnancy. We are so excited for Crystal and her growing family. In this clip, she shares the role of her faith in keeping hope alive while trying to conceive, as well as the tools she utilizes to help her stay grounded during a challenging process. It gets hard. It gets hard sometimes. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Sometimes I question if God hears me or if he sees me and the work that I do as a Christian woman, right? And why our path to parenthood is so incredibly hard for us. I've had those long cries with God. I believe that God has used the agony of infertility to grow and shape me and my faith in ways that I could have never chosen or never imagined. And after years, this is four years for us of trying to build our family I I, I truly believe in all of his messages in the Bible and in his way that this is his way and it's, it's completely in his timing, not my own. And when I finally understood that, because it took years, it took years for me to finally reckon the words of the Bible. And I have to come to the hard one place of saying, honestly, I just, I need to surrender it all to him. And that's the thing with faith. You can't always see it, you know, but you can feel it. And I do feel it in my heart. I feel, and I remind myself of the lessons that I've learned in the Bible, like the stories of Hannah and how his promises are still so true. And no matter what obstacle we may be facing, he is still so good. And I know that in my heart of hearts that his glory and his power will prevail. And I feel as if though, you know, this is, this is not over for us. Like we're, we're scratching the surface and we're jumping through the hurdles and we're, you know, testing our faith daily with every failed protocol, every failed, you know, negative test. I mean, I think that this is just his way of of showing us that he is still gonna, he's still in control. And regardless of what that looks like. He gives me, he gives me faith in knowing that like, just keep going, like trust the process and just keep going. So that's kind of what 
I've done to kind of, you know, weave my way through faith and fertility. And I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's daunting and it's hard at times, but that's kind of the only thing I have left is hope. I really try my best to practice grounded, positive thinking. Um, and this too has taken me years to master and I'm still working at it daily. But I think that the first step towards positive mental thinking is deciding that it's more than just positive mental thinking. It, it's a way of life or it's a way of my life. So what I like to do is I like to train the body like I like to train my mind. So that means doing physical exercise, meditations, prayers, yoga, my Peloton, just anything that strengthens my overall body and helps me feel better. Um, I also set time aside every morning. Um, it doesn't have to be long, anywhere from five to 30 minutes a day for prayer and meditation. This just helps me feel more grounded and it, it kind of gives me this, this feeling of being able and being capable of tackling anything throughout my day. So, you know, whether it's planting my feet on the grass and just taking in breaths of fresh air, thinking of nothing besides positive affirmations before I start my day. And I've learned a lot of these techniques through your meditations show. Like I, I really, you know, before I met you, I, 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 honestly never knew about meditation like I do but once I started um, diving into your like practices last year I believe I haven't looked back like I incorporate them daily so they for me have been a huge game changer for my well-being so I, I really wanted to you know shout you out and thank you for that because they really have changed my overall well-being I think one thing um, that's helped me also is, is um, learning to respond and not to react. So example, if my husband one night forgets to take out the trash, I would get really upset, really angry, maybe start screaming at him. And then it, you know, over time, I've just, we've seen that worsen our relationship, right? That doesn't bring any, any type of goodness into the relationship when yelling gets involved. So I learned how to respond to my anger, meaning like taking a pause, taking a breath, taking a moment to just reevaluate the situation. So rather than responding with anger, I, I talked to my husband, you know, why did you forget to take out the trash? Was it because you had a stressful day at work? Was it that you were too busy? Was it that you just forgot? Whatever the reason is, just learning how to calmly take that approach has not only been super beneficial for both of us, like, you know, cause we were once, especially going through fertility treatments. Oh my gosh. Like every little thing would set me off. And he, you know, he was like, we learned it in therapy when he, when our therapist was like, you guys really have to understand like the difference. And he gave us like Webster dictionary definitions between <laughs> responding versus reacting and we practice that, you know, and it took time, but now we are much better at responding to, to even everyday life situations more mindfully. All of these strong fertility advocates have inspired so many through their candor via their companies, podcasts, and social media profiles. Definitely check out their individual interviews on RTL in previous episodes where you will hear in greater detail about their personal journeys and the strength and resilience it took for them to persevere.
Plus, they share so many lessons learned from their unique experiences creating their families. I'll leave you all with one last thought about navigating infertility, one's path to parenthood, and life overall. You know, when I think about those low lows, I, you know, I think you think you're going to be in there forever. Like it feels just, you know, like it's, it's, it's everything. Um, and the phrase that I love to use, I think I use this with you guys in the Fertility Out Loud campaign, but you know, it's, it's, it's just a chapter. It's not your whole story and this too shall pass. And I think, you know, that's just really important to remember, um, you know, whenever you're kind of in that present moment, that's just, you know, painful, frankly, um, and just kind of sitting with that and really feeling that and, and knowing that it is going to pass. Um, and, you know, the, the next moment is going to be different. The next day is going to be different. I learned about limiting beliefs and how it keeps us from moving forward and personally growing. And so anytime I had this thought that would come into my head that was negative or kept me from growing as a human, I was able to say, no, it, you didn't cause this it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because you were, you know, you made a bad choice as a teen. It's not any of those things. It just is. And you don't have to attach the labels. You don't have to find reasons. Our brain naturally wants a reason for all of this to make sense for the trauma to make sense. And so I was like, okay, I know that I am a powerful being. I know that where I am is not a coincidence. I know that I am so worthy and that I can work on healing myself and just loving my body. And so I really had to find fine tune how I talked to myself in order for me to get to a place to start to heal. This little golden nugget is going to be so helpful for whoever's listening. And that is being aware of your thoughts. And, and it doesn't mean I'm not asking you to go sit and meditate. I think sometimes the word meditation can be so daunting for some people, mm -hmm. um, but just being aware, just, you know, checking in your head throughout the day, like, huh, what am I thinking about? What, be what belief is, what thought is ruminating that is harmful for me and my personal growth that is maybe getting in the way of me starting to heal and whatever trauma or, um, stress or life obstacle that I'm, I'm, that I'm experiencing, like what, what is this, what is this thought? Where is it coming from? And, and why is this thought false? And so my challenge is just to check in with yourself. When it comes to finding goodness in yourself and the power in yourself, a lot of times we forget the strengths that we have because naturally as, as human beings, we're always looking for patterns and themes. Our brains are naturally in tune to that. We're always looking because of safety and, and, and survival. And a lot of times we forget to look at ourselves for that as well. We lose sight of what got us to where we are, which is ourselves. So a lot of the work with someone is to find daily things that we are proud of, of ourselves. And I'm not saying this is not fluffy, like look in the mirror and tell yourself a mantra. If that helps you, amazing, go for it. If that doesn't, what I would say is this, take a time to look in the mirror and find one thing that you actually think is valuable and important that day. It could be as simple as your eyes look really nice today, your clothes, your hair, your spirit, your smile, 
you did something really great that day, but you have power in you because you wouldn't be where you were today without that power. You wouldn't. And if you can't, haven't found it yet, it takes time and searching and self-reflection to understand what you bring to the table. Each person brings something unique to this world. Allow the process and the journey to empower you and take control of the things that you can control and let go of the things that are not controlled, that you cannot control, like your medical diagnosis. You can control your medicine and taking your medicine on time and you can control what you eat and you can control how much physical activity that you do. And you can control the kind of love that you give to your spouse and your significant other, but you cannot control the fact that you have such and such and such disorder or you, your right tube is not working properly. You can't control that. So just submit to whatever needs to be done to help you. Right. And get in and allow that, that power to be given back to you because you never lost it. You just got to reawaken your power and control the things that you can control and find community. Don't be a silent sufferer out here just trying to wing it. You know, it can really take you to a dark place. It really can. And so, um, yeah, you guys just be empowered and find power in everything and anything that you do. Publicizing my journey goes against everything I was taught as a child to not advocate, to not draw attention to myself, and to definitely not speak up about my downfalls. And, you know, as a woman, not even just an Asian American woman, as a woman suffering with infertility, that was also very isolating and detrimental to my mental health, right? When I suffered in silence before I, before last year, before I publicized it. So I was just really sick and tired of being you know, stereotyped, and I was tired of being hushed and silenced and gaslit. And I really wanted to take advantage and share my truth, take control of my own narrative, and empower others that it's okay to do the same. Thank you again to all of you for tuning in to this enlightening episode on how to navigate the challenges of infertility and carving your own unique path to parenthood. There isn't one right way to create your family. Each person's story is important, and your decisions honor your needs. I hope that all of you who are in the midst of creating your families feel seen, heard, and represented here in this episode. Myself and all of the advocates you heard from today strive to be inclusive of all people and experiences. I invite you to listen to their individual episodes on RTL and tune into next week's bonus episode where we will discuss another very important topic in the trying to conceive community how to heal after loss. Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, talking health, fertility, and parenthood. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with others and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. To learn more on how to apply mindfulness to your life, please check out my book, The Mindfulness Journal for Parents, available on Amazon. On my website, jayatlurie.com, you can also check out older podcast episodes and so many tips on infusing mindfulness into your life, particularly if you are trying to conceive, experiencing infertility, managing your mental health, or navigating parenthood. I offer affordable online mindfulness workshops as well as private online meditation sessions. Thank you again for your support. And I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.